welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners who are actively relaunching to make sure to register and upload your resume to our I Relaunch job board. Employers looking to hire relaunchers regularly peruse our job board for candidates for their career reentry jobs and programs. Okay, on to our podcast conversation. Today, we welcome Stephen Diebel. Steve is a senior technical writer at Guracle, a global cybersecurity company protecting data and information from insider threats and external cyber attacks. He has taken career breaks to deal with challenging life events that included caring for his father following a stroke, as well as career changes. I should also add that Steve and I are longtime friends since elementary school, and I'm so thrilled to be in this conversation today about 50 years later. In 2017, Steve was looking to return to his technical career after 12 years as a video producer. He found himself competing with millennials. I remember that Steve and I had a long talk at that time, which we'll tell you more about, and afterward, he took a few steps that kick-started his relaunch. We're going to get into detail about how Steve relaunched his career, including the mental and emotional journey along the way. Steve ended up with two successive contract roles, and his success in these positions restored his self-confidence as well as providing his resume with high-profile employment that has helped him obtain other positions for prestigious employers such as the Capital Group and Thomson Reuters Elite. We're going to talk about his process of restoring his confidence too. He lives in Long Beach, California, my hometown, where he hosts a monthly storytelling event called Riveted. Steve, we have lots to talk about. Welcome to 321 iRelaunch. Carol, I'm so happy to be here with you. It's always good to see you. Yes, this is really extra fun for me too. Uh, Let's start with your career path before you took your first career break. And was that when you were caring for your father? Um, Actually, I had taken a previous year-long career break uh, in my mid-30s following my mother's death. And I, I did it to do some writing and world traveling, which I had not ever done. I figured by 35, it was time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, um, following that year, I, my return path ended up leading me into a position as a senior technical instructor with a company called FileNet, uh, which proved to be one of the best jobs I've ever had, uh, ironically, in part because it provided me with the opportunity to travel internationally. Mm. So uh, I, I had started it already and I just kept going, which was really great. Yeah. Um, but but it, to, to your question, in my mid-40s, my father had a second stroke, and I, I, it, I didn't want to see him in a nursing home. So what I did was I, I got him back to, we had a house in the mountains, and uh, he, um, he, he moved up there, I moved up there. And I, the thing is, at the time, I was trying to start my video production business which I had been doing in Long Beach where I had developed connections and uh, contacts and, and I was gradually getting some momentum. So of course the logical thing to do is to move away. Right. You know, <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, but you know, I, I felt, I felt that this was important. And what I discovered though, was it was challenging in a couple of ways. First, 
he was very depressed and I found it was difficult to work in part because I was spending a lot of time and energy trying to engage him in life. Uh, and partly because realistically depression is contagious. Mm-hmm. So I, I was wrestling with that a bit myself as a result. Um, but I managed uh, to deal with that and continued to do the video production for uh, many years. And I, I got to work with uh, a lot of amazing people. I, I worked with a Broadway star named Kay Ballard, uh, Ray Bradbury and Anne Rice, you know, a couple of famous writers and yeah. uh, former President Clinton is in one of my projects, as well as Jerry Brown, governor. At that time, he was a previous governor and future governor. Right. So uh, I, I got to do a lot of cool stuff, um, which mm-hmm. was which was great. And, uh, you know, it was very satisfying as well. Wow. All right. So um, you had this incredible experience. You're in an elder care role with your father now. Uh, and what happened during your career break that ultimately allowed you to change careers or to develop a new um, specialty? Bring us along um, on the timeline. Sure. Uh, One of the things that happened was that FileNet, my previous employer as a senior technical instructor, hired me as a contractor to do uh, instructional development for distance learning versions of the classes that I had taught in a classroom. Uh, that was that was new technology at the time, and I, you know, I was considered a pretty good instructor, and so it was really nice that they they asked me to do this, um, and that helped me feel, you know, good about myself, which is always important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in addition, um, I got work through friends. Um, you know, I have a really solid network. And that's one of the other points that I want to make is, is that you may not recognize your, the, the full extent of your network and you always need to maintain that. Um, I had done work for them previously and I, I got additional work uh, as a result. Um, also, I was volunteering in the nonprofit sector, which uh, initially was work for free, but mm-hmm. because my name was out there, I, I was picked up by a couple of different organizations as the go-to guy for doing video production, which... Wait, so Steve, hold on a second. So you were volunteering, but then you ultimately got paid for doing that work? Is that what you're not, saying? Not, not for that work, but uh, by people who knew me through that work. I see. So, uh, so I, you know, there was a benefit to doing it beyond just the initial uh, positive impact that the projects were having in the community. You know, there the, the, it's that uh, what is it called? Karma, you know, mm-hmm. doing good things for other people, and then yeah. good things happen to you. So, um, so that was a really, really nice uh, bonus coming from that stuff. That work. How did you figure out how much to charge when you were doing all of these different projects? Uh, well, I'll be really honest with you. I was a much better video producer than I was a businessman, and and it took me a long time to figure out how to do that. Uh, and the end result was I realized I'm trying to wear too many hats. You know, when you own your own business, you wear all the hats and that can be exhausting, uh, in itself. But when you're a video producer and you're kind of a one man video production, you're already wearing a whole bunch of hats. So I, I just, I, I started getting burned out. Um, 
I, I realized I need to make a change. And I had this great career that I had, you know, stepped away from in order to do this passion project, if you will. Um, I decided it was time for me to get back into, uh, into, into tech. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you say tech, can you specifically talk about, or, or just say what the subspecialty was? Sure. Well, you know, I've always considered technical writing my, my foundation. Uh, I have had some amazing opportunities after I've entered a company as a technical writer. One of them happened to be becoming a technical instructor. So that became a second specialty for me. Uh, one of them became uh, becoming what we called, and I, I literally wrote this job description myself, which I ended up taking, a technical liaison where I was the bridge between the account management group and the technical support team because I could say, I could speak English. Mm -hmm. You know, I understood the technology that we were working with and I could explain it to the people who maybe didn't understand it as well. And I also served in that same role between our company and our clients. So I was always included in, in sales calls and, and supporting the sales team by providing information that they might not be able to express clearly and concisely. I mean, all of that stemmed from being a technical writer. And did you originally come at this from the writing side or the technical side? Well, I, you know, when I was in school, as far back as when you and I knew each other, uh, I was writing, always writing. And when I got to college, I started writing on the newspaper. I, my first job was actually my first writing job was working for the public information office at the college. Mm. And one of the press releases that I wrote, in fact, it was my first press release got picked up by the Los Angeles times. And I, I really wasn't even taking it seriously at that point. I just thought, Oh, how cool mm -hmm. is this? I got mm -hmm. a picture. I got a picture in the times as long, you know, went, went with that article. Um, uh -huh. I also was winning awards as a writer mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. again, not taking it seriously because I was a film student. All this other stuff was just sort of like, you know, Oh, by the way. Uh, so when I had an opportunity to, uh, to get a, a position with a, as a junior technical writer at a software company, um, that was my background. So at the time, really there weren't any training programs for technical writers. They were coming from all different fields and um, they always taught us in, in the journalism program, don't just study writing, study something else so you have something to write about. And I, I found that I had I'd actually gone back to school after film um, to study electronics. And I kind of parlayed that in my experience as a TA in the electronics program I, I was, I found I was a much better TA than I was in electronics tech. So, you know, what, what became evident was I had the communication skills and the ability to understand technical information and communicate it to people. So that's kind of where all that came from. Okay. Well, that's really helpful background. So um, coming back to this point where you decided you want to resume your technical writing career, uh, you ended up with a couple of contract roles. I want to know if you could take us through what the roles were and even give us like a play-by-play. -play. Like, did you email someone? Did you have a phone call? Like what led to you actually getting these positions? 
uh, a lot of uh, resumes being sent out and not getting any response. And that was humiliating. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had always had success in my job seeking. Uh, generally, I would, uh, if I got an interview, I got a job. What was happening at this point was exactly the opposite. I was, I felt like I was screaming into, into the void <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and no, no one was hearing me. And I, I didn't know why I was doing everything the same way I'd been doing it. Uh, in the past that had been successful, but now for some reason it wasn't. And I, I don't know, you know, wh- what happened, uh, but it really started grinding me down. And mm-hmm. then I had a couple of, I had had an opportunity to do a, a contract for a, a friend of ours uh, who I'd done work for before. And it was something I'd never done before. Um, I, we put together a, an exhibition. Uh, so I, I designed the exhibit and I uh, was responsible for uh, fixing old photographs and uh, uh, setting up displays. And I'd never done any of this before. Uh, and it was really successful. And that really helped me remember I'm, I'm good. I have value. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, even though it wasn't really related to what I was doing as a technical writer, it helped me feel good about myself again and helped me keep going as I pursued, you know, the leads trying to find technical jobs. What happened then was I talked to you. And it was one of the That's most. We had our conversation. It was right. one of the most important conversations I've ever had. And honestly, I, I I recall it was about forty-five minutes where where I told you where I was and I asked your advice, and you really really you gave me the time, and what you said led me to do something that I have to say was instrumental in my success, which was I did something I call de-agifying my resume. Mm-hmm. I think this is interesting because usually I wouldn't advise this, but the way you went about it is, is uh, instructive. So yes, please tell well, us how funny you is that I recall that afterwards I told you about the success and what I'd done. And I said that you had told me to do it. And you said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I thought, Wait, where, where did I get this idea then? So basically what I did, you know, a resume, the standard resume, you have your jobs, history going back in time. And for each job, it says the year and the the month that you started and the year and the month that you finished. Right. Well, that, it doesn't take much to go back through somebody's resume and figure out how old they are. Right. Well, so I did two things. One, I de-ageified it. I took out all of the dates, the months and years, and I replaced them with just the period of time so that they could see what my experience in that position was. And of course, at the top of the resume, it said, here's how many years experience I have. I also broke out my resumes in the different areas of focus. So I had a technical writing resume. I had a technical instruction resume. Uh, so it only it contained the, the positions related to that job or that job I, search. Interesting. So I sent that out and... Like virtually as soon as I did that, I got a hit. And this company called DICES, Digital Intelligence Systems, uh, they, they hired me as a technical writer for a contract they had at Southern California Edison. Um, I went in there and uh, the, initially I was supposed to uh, supplement 
another writer. And my first day I discovered there was no other writer. I was the guy and I, I was surprised. And then uh, the customer, I started working on a document that they, they wanted. And it basically was a policy, not policy, it was a, what do you call it? Standard operating procedure. How do they handle tickets in their, in their ticketing system for support tickets? And after I'd been there a week and really only effectively been writing this document for three days, my boss said, the customer wants to see what you've done. I okay. said, wait a minute, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm <laughs> working on this document. I, I, I've basically got a structure. I've got, you know, uh, some ideas for how I'm going to address it. I've got a bunch of screenshots. Uh, he said, they want to see it. And I, he was, he was, I could tell he, he there was no way I wasn't going to be able to show it to them. So I just said, okay, you need to set their expectations. Mm -hmm. but what they're going to see is not the finished document. We have to give them, give me a couple of days so that I can go in and just do the first part and build out the first part. So it looks more finished because the rest of it's like the skeleton. It's like, you know, the fish with just the head and then somebody's eating all the, all the meat off the rest of it. Um, right. So he agreed. And so we, they came in the next Tuesday and I uh, sat down with the, the lead guy and I walked him through what I'd done and explained to him my approach. At the end of that, he smiled, nodded and got up and walked out. And I turned to my boss and I said, okay, what just happened? He said, he, he liked it. I said, okay, <laughs> explain to me why, why we had to do this exercise. And he yeah. said, well, the person you replaced was here a month. And at the end of that month, he presented us with a list of documents that he would create. Oh, I see. And I, I, I was like, uh, okay, now I understand. Uh, and so I completed that document. Uh, I completed a couple of other documents. It was a three-month contract. And at the end of that, they were very pleased with my work. And they said, uh, how would you like to work on a contract at the Aerospace Corporation? And for me, that was a dream come true. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I said yes. And for that, I had to get a secret clearance, which was uh, something else that was kind of exciting. Uh, and yeah, I got to work on that environment. Let me just say this for our audience. So the Aerospace Corporation happens to be a, a client of ours through the- Oh, is um, it really? Yeah, through the STEM Reentry Task Force that we run with the Society of Women Engineers. They have a return to work program. But for people unfamiliar, the Aerospace Corporation is a federally funded research and development center. Uh, and they're based in El Segundo, I think. Right. Yep. Right? Um, and they do a very, work for very specific clients. Correct. Yep. Uh, in the in the aeros I get in the aerospace industry, um, but yeah, just so even though it says the aerospace corporation, it's kind of it's federally funded research and development centers are like Oak Ridge Labs and Livermore Labs and NASA, JPL, like that category of employer. I like to call it a federally funded think tank. Yeah. You know they, their 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 website. If you look at their website, it says we don't make anything. <laughs> okay. Which is well, true. That's yeah, that's exactly, that's a great way to describe it. Um, anyway, so that must have been a very interesting environment and you had to get a clearance. I had to get a clearance. And again, I was going in to supplement a team of two other writers and I arrived on my first day and discovered I was sitting at the desk of one of those two writers. And I, I thought, wait, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going yeah. on? And apparently they'd let that guy go because of my success at Edison uh, they they didn't feel that they needed another writer and they wanted me to be in there. And so uh, over the next couple of weeks, 
I, I, I demonstrated to them, but well, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't like to brag, but I have a fairly strong work ethic. In mm-hmm. fact, my first day I asked one of the tower leads, you know, what do you, what are you looking for? What do you need? And he said, well, could you, could you put together a document that uh, describes how we do the break fix process, which is exactly what I had done at uh, Edison, but this was a much smaller um, project. And I said, uh, sure. And so he went to lunch and I started working on it. I interviewed the woman that did the break fix process. And when he came back from lunch, I took him a draft document and three Visio diagrams with three swim lanes showing how the responsibilities move back and forth between the different groups. And I handed it to him. He looked at it. He goes, what's this? And I said, well, that's the document you asked me for. And he said, wow. are you, are you kidding? You did that just in two hours? I said, yeah. He said, you know, it would have taken them a month. Wow. So, you know, uh, they liked me out of the gate. I worked there for quite a while. And then um, I, I decided to try something else and, and I moved on from there. Mm-hmm. Well, just to uh, underscore how important these, these were contract roles, but they were really meaty, interesting roles and one led to the other. So mm-hmm. that, point that out to, to our audience because we are big proponents of taking on contract work uh, because it gets you a foot in the door. And as you're explaining, it, it can give you an incredible opportunity too, if it's the right match. Right. So Steve, how long um, did you work in the contract roles before you decided you wanted to move into a more traditional full-time job? And what happened once you made that decision? Well, I knew I wanted to work in a full-time job like out of the gate. I, I, I'd been yeah. working as a contractor. I mean, not contract. You mean not a contractor, but hired as an employee. Is that right. what you're talking I about? I wanted to be hired yeah. as an employee. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I uh, started putting out my feelers for uh, new positions. And one of the things that happened was I, I started recognizing that um, what, what I, well, I, what came to me instead of full-time work was more contracts. And since mm-hmm. they were with very prestigious companies, uh, one of them was with the Capital Group, which is- My old employer. Right. One of the uh, most- Wonderful companies ever and very prestigious. And yes. you know, everybody that I talked to was so excited for me that I was going to get to work there. And, uh, and I was too. It was amazing. Um, after having worked at the Aerospace Corporation and dealt, dealing with security there, uh, and I was also, in addition to being a technical writer, something called the facility security officer, which means I was managing the clearances for all the other employees. I, I get into the, the capital group and I discover... Uh, their security, you know, they're managing all these assets. They, they are protecting them from cyber attacks with technology that I had never seen. And mm-hmm. so uh, I went from there to uh, Thomson Reuters Elite, which is basically software used by the largest law firms in the world. And the largest law firms in the world do not keep their data in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that, so security, 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 security. And I started thinking, that's what I need to focus on. I, need, I, I, I had previously had expertise in healthcare and in supply chain. But I realized now what I had developed just in the, the, from the restart of my career was emphasis on security-related 
issues. And so I decided that that's what I look for. And son of a gun, if I didn't see a position on LinkedIn, uh, one of the job alerts that I got for technical writing jobs was they were looking for somebody at this company called Guricle, which is a cybersecurity company that uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to protect people's data. And you know, cybersecurity alone is a term that rings a lot of bells. But that combined with artificial intelligence and machine learning, those three all ring bells. And I thought, okay, mm -hmm. this is where I need to go. So I applied mm -hmm. and I had an interview almost immediately. I had a second interview the next day and they made me an offer. Wow. And it, it just went that fast. Once I realized where I needed to focus, it just happened. Mm-hmm. I think about how you're just you acquired this skill base over time through these different experiences. And then you were able to step back and put together what to call this and what direction that you were going in. And that is really important uh, to point for our audience to think about when you're relaunching exactly where do you want to relaunch? What, which skill sets are you extracting from the past that you want to focus on the future? And what do you call it? Uh, so being able to come up with this narrative sounds like it was key to you even figuring out what jobs to apply for. Right. So let me, let me just take a step back, Steve, and ask you, can you talk about the time period that this was happening over and um, especially the times when you felt like you were going through periods of rejection. It sounds like this time before, before getting the current job, there, it, it wasn't very long. But in the past, how did you um, maintain your mental and emotional health and um, it, it going into any detail or not detail, depending on what you feel comfortable discussing? Sure. Well, OK, for one thing, um, I have been practicing meditation for decades. Uh, I, I started uh, sitting with a couple of people up in, in the mountains where I lived, taking care of my dad. Uh, they had been Buddhist monks and were, uh, I mean, full-on robe monks in a monastery in Nepal. And they taught me a meditation technique. And then I subsequently, with a friend of mine, went on a retreat. We went on a 10-day meditation retreat uh, that was silent. And that wow. was life changing. Um, hmm. but, but to the point, um, that practice has really helped me. I do it every day. First thing, I wake up 4.45 every day and I sit for a half hour. Mm -hmm. uh, the next thing is exercise. I think exercise is critical. Um, the whole mind-body thing is, is absolutely right on. You, your mind and your body are not separate. So to help clear your mind... I think it's really important to get some exercise. I'm not a jock. I don't play sports. In fact, I recently realized under COVID why I don't like going to the gym. It's mm. going to the gym part. Mm -hmm. I love walking in my neighborhood. I love exercising in my neighborhood. I'm the guy that, you know, you see with the dumbbells walking and doing <laughs> upper body exercises every day. That's what I do at lunch. Uh -huh. That's what I'm going to do I'm as soon as you and I are done. Oh, great. Uh, and then I'm, I'm, I've got to the point now where I'm doing some kind of exercise every day. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily hardcore. Uh, I'm not trying to build up muscle mass. I am just trying to keep my head clear. 
And that is the real, that is to me really effective. And it sounds like you figured out ways to exercise that are super easy to access. So like you can walk right out your door and walk in the neighborhood and have some weights with you and you don't have to have a lot of equipment or go to a place to do it. I have bare bones equipment and it, that's exactly it. I don't have to go somewhere. Uh, you know, the gyms were closed under COVID mm -hmm. and, and I was a member of a gym. And, and by the time they reopened, I had already established an exercise practice. One thing I want to mention too, is that when I was negotiating this position that I have now, uh, I, they had said they wanted me in the office five days a week. And I, I, you know, they, the offer letter I got, which kind of blew my mind, but they, they offered me my full ask, but I wanted to be able to work at home at mm -hmm. least part of the time because of what I have established as these routines for my personal self-care. I'm going to call it self-care, mm -hmm. right? It's not just healthcare, it's self-care. Right. And so I had a call with the chief operating officer who, who I had connected with, you know, initially for the interview. And I told him, I said, look, I've been, I've been working from home for two and a half years and I'm successful at it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to be able to work from home. And so we worked at a deal where I, I got to work from home part of the time. And at this mm -hmm. point, it's most of the time. And, and my friends laugh because the only time I really go into the office is when I have a lunch date. <laughs> That's because I don't need to. I don't need to be in the office. Right. So, right. Uh, but I'm I'm in a place now where I I feel I feel respected. I feel challenged. I feel um, I feel like I'm contributing something. And that is a way different place than where I was when I was starting that reentry process. Mm -hmm. And I just want to um, emphasize that because so many of us, when we're in the depths of the prolonged uh, search process and we're getting rejections and we do feel like we lose our sense of value. And that was what you know you were talking about earlier on. And then there, there was that moment where you uh, worked on that exhibit and you recognize some value and that maybe carried you over. And then you had these contract roles where you're clearly not only adding value, but learning and growing like in the process. And then you ended up with this offer and where you are now and how you're talking about how uh, the value that you feel. And yeah. there's just such an evolution there. And uh, it's just, it was hard won. And I, I, you know, we're talking about it in a very brief period and, and in sort of an, like in an abbreviated way, but I, not to, um, I, I just want to emphasize that, that it was hard won. It, it was yeah. a long process. So I didn't know if you had any other comments on that before. I want to ask you the final question that we ask all of our podcast guests right after this. Um, the, I, I'm going to say that one of the key things for me is having a support network. The support network is your friends, your family. Um, and they're, you know, uh, that, that's primary, you know, uh, one of the things COVID did was cause me to be isolated mm -hmm. and I realized, you know, people are my jam and, uh, what, what has happened as a result is I, I reach out to people and I make sure they're okay because I realized it was the people that helped me get through this. And I think it's critical that we all, we all help each other in this regard. Right. The way you helped me. Oh, 
You wow. gave me time. I know you're a busy person. I that was very meaningful to me too. And 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 you're saying that by reaching out to other people and checking in on them, there's also it also helps you. What, yeah. what, when it's a two-way street there. Uh, Absolutely. So, um, well, I want to ask you actually two more questions. First is the question we ask all of our podcast guests, which is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? Okay. So I have a very short bullet list. Okay. First, don't worry about your age. That is no longer an issue. Um, the, the, what, when I de-ageified my resume and I, I got that position as a result, that's great. But what's happened since then is I, I used LinkedIn as my go-to for job search. And the mm -hmm. LinkedIn job history requires that you have the, the dates, if not the, the entire date, the year and the month. So right. that, that eliminates that ability to de-ageify it. But I realize now I don't need to. Because what happened in those contracts that I did is I, I, I basically replaced three millennials. And I'm not trying to bag on millennials that by any means. You know, every generation has its strengths. And, you know, it just happens that, that I was brought in to a situation where they, they were frustrated with what was happening. And I was able to give them something that the other people weren't. And it doesn't matter if they were millennials or... Gen Xers or what have you, uh, just be the best that you can be for yourself, and uh, and don't worry about how old you are. The, mm -hmm. the next thing is make sure you maintain your contacts, uh, your network, and those are your former colleagues, uh, clients, your supervisors. Um, that's very important, and, and again, that's one of the things I did on LinkedIn. Uh, to get this new job is I went into LinkedIn and I really beefed up my profile with every one of the people I could think of who had said nice things about me in the past. I said, are you willing to say nice things about me on LinkedIn? Mm -hmm. And that's a hard ask for me. Yeah. It really is. The next thing is volunteer. I cannot speak highly enough of how important it is to do something to give back to your community because what happens is it gives back to you. So that is all, as you said, it's, a, that is also a two way street. Um, and then, um, I, as I said, finally, the LinkedIn, the, the way that it's set up now is such a powerful tool. Um, I have a, a keyword search for jobs for technical writer and I'm still getting them because I know a lot of technical writers and sometimes they're looking for work and I can right. say, Hey, I just saw, you know, six jobs, uh, they're, and they're all remote or what have you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's really what I have as a takeaway. That's excellent advice. Uh, and thank you for laying it out that way. So clearly for everyone, you know, Steve, I just wanted to end by asking you about the monthly storytelling event that you run. <laughs> um, sure. yes. um, how did it start? Uh, what is it? And uh, what, what made you start it? Well, I've been telling stories my whole life, Carol. And uh, one of the things that happened is I, I wrote an, I wrote a novel and there's a store in downtown Long Beach called made, which is basically merchandise. That's all made by local makers and they carry my book. Well, the woman that owns the store invited me to tell the story of how I made it. And so 
I started out by creating a storytelling event that was all about writing and publishing. That led to another one that was about food and community. Uh, and I, so I did a third. Well, then they actually created a new space that is a combination bar with a performance space that is really mm -hmm. incredible. And mm -hmm. they, they came to me and said, we want to do a monthly storytelling event and we would like you to host and curate it. And I said, okay. So we started in 2020. We did January and February and we were killing it. And then COVID happened and shut us right. down. Mm -hmm. We restarted four months ago and what's been happening is it's been getting such notice from people in LA that we're getting, um, are you familiar with the moth? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So our last program was largely winners of the moth story slam competitions. Oh, wow. Uh, they're coming down to Long Beach because we have such an awesome venue. And I, I have now taken on a co-host, co-curator, and she's really tearing it up. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And I'm now telling stories at other storytelling events. In fact, next week, I'm mm -hmm. going to go try and be on The Moth. Mm -hmm. Just for our audience, The Moth, M-O-T-H, look it up, and you'll learn all about what The Moth is and um, what it means for the whole storytelling world. It's The uh, Moth Storytelling Hour on NPR. Thank you. Um, well, you know, Steve, I one of the things that I love about the, the Riveted and the storytelling event is I can tell how passionate and how excited you are about it. And it's it's just really fun. It's a really fun thing. And you have this whole separate network of people that you know through storytelling. And I'm even thinking that some of those people at some point might end up getting a job opportunity because they know knew someone else through the storytelling network. Right. So you never know where your networks are. Right. Exactly. And that's a really I, important message. I had a neighbor once and he, he was a funny guy. He was what I would definitely say was a curmudgeon, but this guy said something to me one day. He said, Steve in life, you've got to root for everybody. Hmm. And I thought, you're, you're like the last guy in the world I would expect to hear that from. But yeah. that was so profound. And I really yeah. took that to heart. Mm -hmm. Root for everybody. That's a great way to wrap up here. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Carol, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. I want to remind our listeners who are actively relaunching to make sure to register and upload your resume to our iRelaunch job board, because that's where employers go to hire relaunchers for their jobs, career reentry jobs and programs. And be sure to visit iRelaunch.com to access our many return to work tools and resources and to sign up for our mailing list so you can receive our weekly return to work report featuring career reentry jobs and programs. Thank you for joining us.